All right, everybody. We're glad you're here. My name is John Ray. I'm in charge of the teaching here or facilitate the teaching group. It's really good to be here. And we want to take a moment before we get into the word to bring ourselves back together, to let our, to become aware of God's Holy Spirit here with us, to become aware of our place in the kingdom. And last week we started a series, a three-week series of just reminding ourselves why we do the things we do here at Grace Church. Uh, Discovering Grace is our course that we do, our material that we put out that kind of helps people understand, hey, what they're getting into when they come be a part of this membership and, uh, or this fellowship. And, uh, and so we've been examining the things behind it. And one of the central tenets is that we adhere to the Nicene Creed. We hold that as the, the most accurate brief summation of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be part of God's church. And so I'm going to ask everyone to stand while we recite this. Last week, we tried to do this right as the computer started updating. Uh, which made it really, really awkward. So we ran through it. It ran through without a hitch uh, in the warm-up today, but we'll see. We may get another malware attack in the middle of the Nicene Creed and it slow it down. But uh, let's, let's read this together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made for and our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. So I will occasionally joke when introducing myself to a group that I have a cross-cultural marriage. Jane and I have a cross-cultural marriage. She's a Yankee. I'm a Texan. (laughs) Knowing laughs all around, right? Um, And while that may sound like an insignificant difference compared to being married to someone from a different, totally different culture or different nation... Uh, For us, or at least for me, that was a pretty significant thing to come to the reality. It took me about a year before I realized that we were using the same vocabulary, the same words, two very different dictionaries. Like, words did not mean what I thought words meant with that first year of marriage. And And once I realized that, 
once I got over my presumption that I knew what she was saying and started to really ask, what is she saying, um, things got a lot better, got a lot better. But it's taken years for us to develop a common language. And I think we're pretty good. We're coming up on 30 years. I think we, I think we do okay with that. Um, I'm looking for affirmation from my wife as I say this. <laughs> but um, it, takes, it takes a while. Like we can know the words. We can even have the accent. But so often we miss the meaning. We make assumptions on what we think people mean when they're saying something. And we assume people know what we're saying when we say something when it's just not true. Well, if learning a human language like that is difficult, then it's incredibly difficult when we think about learning a whole different language of the kingdom. Now, last week we took a step back, and I joked that I was going rogue, that before we could really get into the Discovering Grace material, we had to look at, first of all, what the church is about. And so we took time to back up and really look at what church was for, and then I realized this morning there's actually even one bigger step back or one more step back. We won't go quite as deep into it with that. But, and that goes back to the very basis of the gospel. And I do this all the time. I ask, I ask classes when I teach in missionary schools and different classes, like, what is the gospel? And I'll hear all different kinds of things, but my, my reference point for the gospel is the thing that Jesus himself proclaimed. That when Jesus showed up, his first message, his most often message, his last message was, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe. And I believe that that is the message that everything else comes out of. Now we've had some, uh, at the teaching team, one of the things that I love is we have a, a whole lot of different perspectives. We have a variety of backgrounds, theological, experiential, that come to that. And this week, uh, Donnie Epp, who, who thinks graphically, I love the way Donnie takes notes. Anybody notice that? Like Donnie's notes are never like just words. A lot of times they're pictures with that. So he was taking notes this week, and he developed this. And I love this first slide. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, it's like, why are we doing what we're doing? Like, why... We ask why church, well, yeah, why? Because there's something bigger here. Is this church is the agent for establishing God's kingdom. And so, yeah, we need to look at why church, but we need to even back up a little bit more and go, well, wait, hey, what's going on? Well, listen, I don't think we have to look very far into our social media feed or the newspaper headlines or whatever to know that things aren't as God wants right now. Not in the world, not in our families, not in our personal lives. That Even we know it when we sit quietly, that there are things that are disordered. Augustine's famous definition of sin is disordered affections, that our hearts are disordered. They're hard towards things they should be soft, and they're soft towards things they should reject. And that plays itself out in myriad ways within our world. And God's answer to that is his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the basilia uranos in Greek, this, this idea that there is an inbreaking, that when Jesus came, incarnate God came into the world, 
he was ushering in a restoration of the things, people, and history the way it should be. So if you want to know why, why to come to church, why to be a Christian, I can't think of anything that would be more profound, more significant than this. This is more than just like we talk about. Christianity is not, hey, Jesus pimp my life out. Jesus, you know, I basically got things going. You just make things nice for me. No, we're involved in something cosmic, something eternal, something that has significance for everybody, everywhere, in every day and age, something that is overwhelmingly significant, far beyond the significance even of any single life. The kingdom of heaven is far more significant than John Ray ever would be, will be, could be. It's actually, in, in, in that knowledge, it's not something that diminishes my value. It actually gives me value. Is that I'm invited to participate in that. As an individual, as someone who is not anywhere comparable to the message and the meaning of the kingdom, yet I'm invited to participate in that. We are invited to participate in that. Not only that, we're not only invited, but we are ordained as the church to be agents of this kingdom moving into the world. But there's a constant tension between these things. It's one that requires effort to go along with it. You see, the kingdom, of the, the kingdom of the world is established. You don't have to work for that. You just have to be. It'll come and find you. You don't have to go looking for it. The kingdom of heaven, on the other hand, is something that requires effort. Not earning, but effort. Now, it's not dependent on our effort, but it invites it with that. Now, living into that kingdom... <clears throat> then takes us to, okay, then why church? Well, because we're supposed to be agents of that. And then we get to today, well, how do we do that? What's our response? Well, we're in a season right now as a church of evaluating that. Listen, we talk about this all the time, and you need to be very comfortable with, with flexibility at Grace, with, with being flexible. I heard someone the other, the other day, what did they say? We are absolutely committed to rigidly following the flexibility. Like, <laughs> like that, that is a great description of us, is we are absolutely committed to rigidly being flexible. Uh, so we practice, we're practicing leadership, and we're in a season right now where that's changing. You're going to get it, everybody here who's on the email list, the newsletter, you're going to get an email. We're looking at, we're asking the question, who is going to lead us in this next season? How we are going to do that? Coming out of this study of Acts, we've seen that the Holy Spirit is so important in leading that discernment and bringing that process. Uh, Brian Holt is taking a sabbatical, stepping out. That leaves Alex, John Green, myself. We're all up. We're, we've laid that on the table. All of us have put that on the table and said, hey, are we to continue or are we not with that? And so we're going to be taking this we're, as a group process of discerning that. And deciding, hey, who's going to lead us into this next season of the church? And I'm excited about that. 
as, as the elder team, we have for years been trying to figure out how do we bring up a new generation? How do we spread this leadership out? Because we believe we're all called to be ministers here at Grace. And we don't believe that all wisdom and authority res, resides within four old white guys. Like, we've got to figure that out. And so what we're going to look at this morning is, well, what does that mean then? What, what does it mean if we're going to call leaders out from the people of grace? What does it mean to be the people of grace in the first place? What are all of us called to do? And then out of that, who are those that we are discerned to provide leadership? Now, notice I'm not saying be a leader. We have a cult of leadership in this country and in our culture. It's all about leaders. How many books can you read on leadership? We need to understand and be very clear that the biblical model turns that on its head, which we're going to talk about as we go forward. We are not called to be structured and to imitate the kingdoms of this world and the way that they lead. But we are supposed to do it in a very different way. So, well, what does this mean in practice? Well, I want to show you a graphic. I heard this from Andy Crouch. Donnie redrew it. But um, Andy Crouch, who's a leading thinker, he's an editor for Christianity Today, and I heard him speak at a conference a while back. And when I saw this, this really stuck with me. In his book, Strength and Weakness is where this comes from. And so he talks about vulnerability and authority being the place where when we're high on authority and high on vulnerability, that is where flourishing comes. That's where flourishing comes for an individual, for a family, for a group. It's not just individual, it's also for groups with that. And so what are we talking about when we're talking about here? Well, let's, let's look at that for a second. Authority, authority is our rootedness. It's not positional power, okay? It's not a title, but it is an inward rootedness. It's our strength in knowing who we are and accepting responsibility for our actions. That gives us authority. When we say, I am responsible for my actions, both good and bad, it's owning our agency. It's realizing that we are created in the image of God. We carry the Imago Dei with us. That we have agency. We have choice. We have authority just based on being created in God's image. It's knowing that Christ is the hope of glory in us and that we have a siblingship with Christ. We're not slaves. We're not servants. We're not soldiers. But we are daughters and sons of God, co-heirs, brothers and sisters to Jesus. With that, that comes with authority. We're co-heirs, Paul talks about, of the kingdom. This authority also comes from the cultivating of the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit within us. Not outsourcing our spiritual growth to any teacher or group or book or anything else, but actually cultivating that indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. It's refusing to abdicate our responsibilities and walking in our gifts and callings, even when those are misunderstood, maligned, diminished, or have the door shut on them. We still walk in them. It's knowing that, we are, it's knowing that where our ultimate approval and recognition comes from, it comes from God. With that, that is authority. Now notice, none of that has to deal with lording anything over anybody. None of that has to do, none of that is bullying. None of that is demanding. None of that is self-serving. 
This is authority very different than the way the world defines it. Likewise, vulnerability. Vulnerability, or our weakness, is owning our limitations. It's recognizing that I am dependent on others. I can't go through this world alone. There's so much that I need that only someone else can provide. I cannot provide it for myself. Vulnerability is refusing to hide my faults and my failures. Now, it's very different than just blabbing everything out there, but it's, it's very much owning my limitations, my faults, my failures, my blind spots. Vulnerability is giving up on posturing, preening, constantly. Um, it, it involves constantly repenting and confessing. Repentance is not just something we do once, once for some bad thing, and then we can just go on living our lives. Repentance is actually an attitude of the heart that all of us as believers of Jesus are called to cultivate. A constant sense of repenting, of evaluating, of letting the Holy Spirit do its work in us. It's the willingness and practice of receiving from others. We talked about this last week, about how, the, how it takes so much grace to actually receive something from someone else that we can't do for ourselves. We may not even want for ourselves, but we receive it from others. That's a vulnerability. Accepting our own limitations, accepting the limitation of my gifting, my calling, and submitting to the gifting and calling of others. Of recognizing that, hey, if I can't do it, someone else can. And I'm going to let them do it. And I'm going to let them do it in the way that they are gifted and called to do it. Our culture is just so spring-loaded to criticize, to demand. Our whole consumer culture is based on swipe left, swipe right. And we have let that permeate every part of our relationship. We do it in our parenting with our children. We do it in our relationship with our spouses. We do it in our companies. We do it. And, and while it may serve us well when we're shopping for laundry detergent, it's absolutely toxic in the church. It's toxic in the home to be constantly swipe left, swipe right, evaluating with that. And a vulnerability says, you know what? That's them. That's what they're called to do. That's what they're gifted to do. I am not called to do that. I am not gifted to do that. Therefore, I am going to let them do that, and I'm going to submit to it with that. And so what happens is, in our society, we usually fall into one of these other three areas, right? Low vulnerability and low authority. We just withdraw. We just step back. I'm not going to own my responsibility, my authority, but I'm also not going to be vulnerable. We cocoon ourselves, our society, we're constantly cocooning ourselves, addicting ourselves, distracting ourselves, entertainment, our subreddits, whatever it is. We're only going to hear voices that affirm our opinions. We're going to close that inference loop. I'm only going to read things that I know will agree with what I agree with. I'm only going to go places I know where I'm not going to be challenged. I'm only going to be around people that won't challenge me, right? We're trying. We do that. But sometimes there are people that have low vulnerability and high authority. They actually own it. They're like, hey, I'm here to make a difference. I'm going to do it. 
but you're not going to know about me, right? What do we get with that? We get exploiting. We all know these people. We all know the people that have high authority. They, man, they own it. They take it. But they're never receiving from you, and they're never giving. They're just demanding with that. It's exploitive. But then we have the people who are very vulnerable. They know they, they can't get past what they need, but they don't, they don't know their own authority. They haven't taken it up. They either don't know it or they can't accept it or they don't know how to get it. And so they're out there. They're vulnerable. They're needy. They have to, they, they have to depend on other people. They have no authority. So they just, it, it's just suffering. It's, it's a martyrdom in a way. You're just always dependent on what other people think, and you don't have your own source of strength, and so you're just, it causes intense suffering with that. And where the place where we're supposed to be, I believe, where, where we flourish, where we find flourishing, is when we own our own authority, but we're also willing to be vulnerable. And believe me, listen, I understand there are people in here that say, hell no, I have done that before. I have been vulnerable and I have been burned too many times. I get it. And I'm not telling you to be vulnerable again without also owning your own authority with that. Because that's the way. The answer is not, okay, just go, just go put your hand under the hammer again. That's not the answer. The answer is to do it with the authority, is to find the authority that you need. And those of us with authority, who know this stuff, who aren't willing to be vulnerable. And here's probably one of the biggest blind spots, is I believe people don't know they're doing that. They've never seen it. They don't understand how it works. They have no imagination for how it would work. To both be, have authority, be given a responsibility to do, which they're committed to. That's a good thing. Yet at the same time, be vulnerable to ask for help, to receive input, to really to really listen to what other people think. I think that, in large part, that's just a lack of imagination with that. That has to be cultivated. But wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves in here, we, as a church, are only going to flourish when this is practiced. Now, again, this is a scale, right? This is not an absolute. This is not you're you're either in one, two, three, or four. We're all somewhere on the spectrum. Moving through this. Now, I want you to think about that, and I want you to hold the image in your mind as we read our text. And I've chosen the text in Ephesians. Ephesians is a phenomenal book that the apostle wrote to a church that was, that was getting off the ground, that was experiencing flourishing in some areas and not in others. But Ephesians is this incredible missive to a group of people who were making many of the same decisions and choices that we're making now. So just like in Acts where we could see our history repeated there, here we see another group that is going through similar things that we're doing. So in chapter 4, it starts with this. It says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, Paul, this is Paul writing, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. It starts with that, that recognition that we have been called, invited into this kingdom of heaven With all humility and gentleness, patience, putting up with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. 
Because there is one body, we said this again in the Nicene Creed, there is one body, one spirit, and just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, let's stop for a minute. Whenever we stop and talk about giftings and stuff, everybody starts thinking personality test, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, whatever it's going to be. Am I ISJPT armadillo? Who am I? How do I classify myself? Oh my gosh, that's that person. We got to treat them special because they're a four or nine or whatever it is. And I'm, I may sound like I'm diminishing all that. I actually love it. I think it's fascinating but it just can't be the center thing. And honestly, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about another gifting test. He's trying to give us the foundation for where all this rests on. It's like what it's for. Hey, look, because if we don't understand what it's for, we just get caught up in the weeds of the minutia with it. And we use it as excuse making for why I should be given a pass on my stuff and why. I should give you a pass on yours. So, he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives. He gave gifts to men. Now, what is the meaning of he ascended except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth? He, and Paul's talking about Jesus, the very one who descended is also the one who ascends above to all heavens in order to fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? It is to be agents of the kingdom of God. It is to restore what is broken. It is to bring light where there is darkness, healing where there is sickness, reconciliation where there is animosity, bridges where there are walls. That's the work of the ministry. It expands far beyond the walls of the church. This is not just something where we can get along well together here. This is for the restoration of all things. That is to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. This is aspirational. And the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So we are no longer children to be tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up to, into Christ, who is the head. This is, this is why we practice. This is why we talk about practicing stuff at Grace Church. We are practicing the truth in love. We don't have it nailed, y'all. Everything that we talk about in this document is aspirational. We see glimpses, yes. At times, yes. But it's not fullness yet. We are giving our first, our most, our best effort towards working towards this. Because from Jesus, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body builds itself up in love. Listen, when we talk about who's going to lead this, especially in our contentious climate we're in, this can quickly de degenerate into some politicking, into some partisanship, into some really ugly maneuvering. 
Now, we're going to send out a list of qualifications that was developed both from times past, but also influenced by the recent uh, groups that we put together. But really, it's got to reflect this. More than anything, it's got to reflect who is practicing the truth in love. Who is, who is practicing their gifts for the good of the whole body so that the kingdom of God may come? Like this is the ethos in which it's rested. But we have to develop that. So what does that practice look like? So let's look at this next one. Um, we talk about here that we act our way into a new way of thinking and feeling. If we're just waiting to feel like we should do something, if we're just waiting to feel a new way of doing it, we're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. We don't, we don't feel our way into a new way of acting. We act our way into a new way of feeling and thinking. We talk a lot about this, how the, the Western model of understanding is hear something, understand it, do it, maybe. Whereas the biblical version is always hear something, obey it, do it, understand it, maybe, with that. And that's what this reflects, is that, and, it, and it's also, it's not, it's not a clear cup, one, two, three equals. This is, a, this is something we practice over and over. It's a, it's, a, it's a cycling loop, right? Is that we're practicing, learning, learning, practicing, practicing, learning, learning, practicing as we go through this. And in our material, we talk about how, what that means for us. It means being committed to praying, being active in studying scripture personally and along with the grace community. Listen, we can't even have the conversation if we're all always just going our own way, studying our own stuff. That's why we do our Discovering Gray, our, our uh, lesson plans in our grace groups together. Now, be clear. I'm not saying don't study other stuff. Listen, y'all know me. You guys see my book list, right? I'm not only studying the things that are put out in the learning guide. I'm having all kinds of conversations, listening to all kinds of podcasts and different stuff and engaging with that. But, but the core to our conversation here centers on how we are moving through Scripture together as a body. And you cannot get it by just listening on a Sunday morning. You just can't. Nobody can. So you have to take that into your private devotions and you have to take that into whatever grace or whatever group setting you're in. Maybe that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship you have with somebody. Maybe that's in a grace group. But you need to get out of yourself and you need to reflect that off somebody else. You need to be in a discussion with that with someone else. It just doesn't work if we don't do that. I'll just, I'll just flat out say it doesn't work if we don't do that. We start talking over each other. We start using words that we think the person's understanding us, and we're not. We have to have that commonality of language with that. Uh, being committed to regularly participating in worship, grace groups, personal discipleship, other activities that are part of the life of the church. Again, we want to be a welcoming place for everybody wherever you are. But as you look at, okay, if I really want to be a part of here, you have to have skin in the game. And again, this is not just for you, but that is for the others who are coming here. We come to worship, yes, because we need to come to worship, but we also come to worship for other people. We come to worship for the others so that we'll be there with that. We're dependent on one another for that. We need to be committed to sharing the different gifts, talents, and resources as the Spirit provides us. 
opportunities. Again, being vulnerable with those, walking in, or walking in authority with those, but being vulnerable to share them. Being committed to building kingdom relationships within our fellowships and communities beyond. And here's where we get outside ourselves. Here's where this, here's where it keeps us from, from just constantly being inward, right? Because everything I've said right now could say, oh, it's just kind of the holy huddle deal. But all of this is always within mind that we're doing this outside. We're cultivating relationships outside this body, different groups, where there's Campus Crusade, right? Where there's Youth in the Mission whether it's Life Source, whether it's Bethany, where is it? Whether it's your school PTA, maybe it's your soccer club. Where are you cultivating those relationships with your business, with your coworkers, in all those, those spheres of influence that you have? We're called as grace members to take this out there. It is never just for us in here with that. We're committed to being sacrificial in our sharing of our physical resources as modeled by Scripture. I mean, it's logical on one hand, but really, the, the act of giving and receiving is what breaks the cycle of buying and selling. Giving and receiving is one of the most spiritual acts we do. And notice I'm saying giving and receiving. We say it when we pass the baskets in here. We do this because nobody in here is without something to give, and nobody in here is without a need to receive. That breaks the transactional nature of the world's relationships of a consumer mentality when we do that. We need to be committed to serving like Christ in the fellowship of grace, but equally, more importantly, as we said, in our family, job, community, overseas, wherever it leads us, right? All of this is countercultural. We remember that grace is not opposed to effort. It demands it. But it is opposed to earning. We're not doing this so that God will love us more or will somehow stop from smiting us. No, this is invitational. Listen, there is nothing you can do to change the way that God feels towards you. The way God feels towards you is absolute love, absolute acceptance. With that, there's nothing you can do. There's no amount of good action. There's no amount of sinful action that will separate that. But there are consequences to our actions. That's, that's what it means to have authority. That's what it really means to be in a real relationship with someone, is that God honors our choices, and there are consequences to what we choose with that. It doesn't change, God, it doesn't change God's attitude towards us at all, though, with that. And when we do all this, here's the thing. By doing all these, by committing ourselves to these things, to giving, to serving, to receiving, to participating, to digging in, to developing the muscles that we need to study, to learn, to share, to go, we start to learn that language. We start to become conversant in that language. We start to really get to know each other, know ourselves, know God. It's because finally we have the language. We're understanding the words. And again, all this is countercultural. This is often used as a leadership text. Matthew 20 says, but Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those in high positions use their authority over them. But it must not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be, a servant, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, if you're tracking along here, you notice that I earlier said, hey, we're not slaves, we're not servants, we're not soldiers. And we're not. Ontologically, okay, big seminary word, right? The, in, the, in the real truth of things, in the unshakable truth of things, my primary identity is as a son, a brother. I cannot be disowned or disinherited. I am loved and accepted. I am a co-heir of the kingdom of God. I have, all things have been given to me through my knowledge of Christ Jesus. Everything is there. That's ontologically true. It's not just true about me, it's true about everybody in here. But, here's where this verse, the world says, so baby, kick back. (laughs) You're the son of God, man. You need a Cadillac. Vacation. Let those other people do the stuff. Man, you just start dictating, start calling things into being, right? What is that, the secret? I'm just going to believe it. I'm going to believe it and it'll be. Right? I'm going to use that authority for my own selfish ends. That's what the world says. The world says, hey, you've been gifted with charisma. You're a leader. You need a big title. You need a corner office. You need a corner suite. You need a big fat paycheck. That's what the world says. That's not what the kingdom says. The kingdom says, no, you've been given all that. You already have the C-suite. It's already got your name on it. But you're being invited to lay that down. You're being invited to give that up. You're being invited to that to actually follow Jesus, the ultimate leader, the ultimate in authority, who in Philippians 2 says, did not consider with equality with God something to be grasped, but he kenosis this Greek word that we don't even have an accurate English translation for, laid down the privilege, gave up, set aside. We don't even know how to describe what Jesus did, but he didn't grasp it. He laid it down. Not just become a servant, but become servant of all of us. Not just become obedient, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's crazy stuff. That's our model. That's our image. That's the ultimate. Philippians 2, you want, to know what, you want to know what flourishing looks like? You want to know what the ultimate cross of authority and vulnerability looks like? Read Philippians 2. And that was the hymn that the church sang before there was even a Bible printed. It was Philippians 2. With that. Well, that's what we're all called to do. That's the only way grace is going to work. That's the only way we're going to flourish is if we follow that example of leadership. If we set our minds on that kingdom, not the kingdom of the world, with that. All this means we have to believe. And Donnie did this as well, this graphic. Is that we're, we're somehow integrating everything in towards faith in God. We're using scripture, experience, history, science, conscience, nature. Everything is always drawing and pointing us deeper into this faith. And listen, this is a long game. It takes discipline. It takes practice. 
It is not going to be accomplished through fads. It is not going to be accomplished by grasping. It is not going to be accomplished by being vulnerable without authority or expressing authority without vulnerability. So, my family, sometimes they say, talk like Russian. Da, очень? Это правда, да? Right? Jane and I, most of you know, we spent a lot of time in the former Soviet Union. Here's what happened. I got the accent down really well. I can do the accent. I can actually start a conversation in Russian and have a Russian just start going off talking to me in Russian. Here's the problem. I just gave you about all the vocabulary that I know. <laughs> Beyond hi, my name is, that's true, where do I find, yes, no, please, thank you. I don't, I don't know any Russian. But man, I got the accent down good. What I find in my life and in the life of the church, we got the Christian accent down pretty good. We can come in and start the conversation. We can come in here and sound Christian. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. And when things get real, conflicts arise, tension comes, our feelings get hurt, we start getting scared, we start losing control, we don't have the words. We haven't developed the practice. We don't, we don't know the language. So we resort to our native tongue, which is the language of the world. We're going to lord it over. We're going to bite and cut. We're going to discourage. We're going to despise and we're going to cast judgment on. We just resort to our native tongue when things get hot. At Grace Church, we are committed to learning the language, not just the accent. We want to know the words and what the words mean, not just get a veneer of cultural Christianity with that. That's what we're about here, y'all. And you can go to a dozen other places out there and it not be hard. This is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to take effort. That's what language learning takes. Some people are gifted at it. I'm not. I'm good at accents. I'm bad at vocabulary. Bad at syntax. It takes work for me. That's what we're committed to here. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, part of that practice centers in our worship. Worship is a way of repetition. Worship is a way of saying the words, practicing the things, acting our way into a new way of feeling. You may not feel like anything. You may get no emotional rush at all when you sing these words. That's okay. Say them anyway. Sing them anyway. You may walk up here, take this communion today, feel nothing. That's okay. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Your feelings will eventually follow. It starts with acting. It starts with that choice. I talked last week about how we don't get a lot of choices. We don't get to decide what the church is about. We don't get to decide these things. What we do get to decide is right now. Are we in? Are we out? Are we going to practice this? Are we going to learn the language? Are we going to go somewhere else? 
with that.